This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Total Saints Podcast as we sandwich the FA Cup and international break break. This episode will see us answer some questions from TSP patrons via patreon.com slash totalsaintspod. And we'll also have our latest Total Recall, which this week sees saintsarchive.com and Total Saints Podcast team up again, this time to welcome former Saints midfielder of the late 80s and early 90s, Glenn Cockrell. Glenn played over 250 games for Saints and scored over 30 goals. We talked to him about his memories of playing for Saints, life at the Dow, Ian Bramford, and what he makes of Ralph Hasenhutl. Keep an eye out for that later on. As normal, Steve and Adam are here with me. Steve, I thought I'd uh, start by talking about Prousey just briefly. So a bit like the Hokey Cokey, we thought he was going to be uh, in the squad. He was then left out. He's now back in again. So just about the right result in the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, Southgate kind of tied himself in knots, really, with the answer he gave in in the uh, press conference, which kind of just invited people to throw data at him and, and prove that what he was saying was absolute nonsense yes. which um obviously isn't a isn't a particularly good start for him after sort of four months without a game and Southgate's got a lot of credit in the bank so ultimately everybody knows that he's very loyal to the players that have that have served him before um there weren't that many changes from the uh from the world cup squad when um when he announced his first squad afterwards for the games in september and I don't think anybody should be particularly surprised that there weren't that many changes for um, for this set of games. Mm. But I think, given the performances, I think it was still very surprising to see Prousey not in not in that initial selection. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, you were then inevitably going to have a few players uh, drop out. I mean, I'm surprised Henderson's still in there, given that he went off injured in the first half in Munich last week. Yeah. Didn't feature at the weekend for Liverpool at all. He was don't think he was even on the bench. And yet he's still in the squad. So you would assume that if if that's the case, then he must obviously be fully fit. But he's in the squad and he's he's got the recognition, whether he actually plays or not at any point in the next next couple of games, who knows? But 
I mean, at the end of the day, he's there and therefore he's he's an option to use. Yeah, it was interesting, Adam, wasn't it, that uh, Declan Rice was obviously in the squad. I mean, admittedly, he's played well this season, but that's someone that uh, Southgate and England have just convinced to leave Ireland to come and play for England. So obviously he was called up. And as Steve says there, Southgate obviously mentioned about the fact that Prowse had only just got back into the team, I think was the line he said. But, you know, when you look at it this year, since the start of 2019, he's played nearly a thousand minutes. He's run the, the most, certainly before the weekend. I appreciate Burnley plays, so Jack Court's probably overtaken him. He's scored six goals. He was nominated for Player of the Month in January and Fabian Dels has played 10 minutes since the turn of the year and uh, not achieved much yet. He's in the squad ahead of Prousey. So there's a lot of frustration, I think, around Saints fans normally about the, the big club, small club thing. So do you think it is that or do you think he was um, justified in what he said about Prousey? No, I didn't really think it was massively justified. And, and it was kind of the whole way it happened was kind of very felt to me. I mean, I don't follow England as closely as Steve does, but it felt to me out of character from what Southgate's time in charge has felt like which has been kind of a bit of a breath of fresh air and getting away from a lot of these problems. Now, you know, it's, it's that quote that he came up with that's kind of been you know, thrown back in his face, isn't it? That I will pick on form and not on reputation, yep. uh, basically. Now, I think most people would say, OK, there were fair exceptions to that. Let's take, for example, Deli Alley. Now, he's obviously one of England's best players. And therefore, if he's only just come back and he's only just fit again, OK, I think you still pick him because, you know, and the same would be true of Harry Kane. If Harry Kane came back, you know, even if he was only fit for a game before and he hadn't scored. Well, OK, you know what? He's one of the best players he deserves to get in. But when there's some fairly questionable picks of players who have been fit but just haven't played for big clubs and they are picked ahead of people who have been in good form and played a lot more games for smaller clubs then you can't help but feel that those players are being picked on reputation if it's their reputation or the reputation of their club ahead of, you know, somebody at a less favoured club. Let's be honest, that's what we've come to expect from England down the years. Um, But the Southgate era felt like it started not in that vein. But I worry that maybe what's happened with Prousey suggests that that is going back to the sort of same old way that it's always been, really. Um, But... I guess we wait and see in the fullness of time, don't we, as to what uh, Southgate does going forward and going into the summer as well. So um, I'm loathe to judge him too much. Like Steve said, he has got a lot of, you know, credit in the bank. So you kind of have to just say fair enough. But I just thought it was a slightly uh, troubling sign. and, And that first feeling of, well, you're more likely to get in the England squad sitting on Man City or Chelsea's bench than you are playing and doing well for Southampton. And that's not the way it should be and that's not really the way that Southgate has found success thus far I don't think so I hope he doesn't sort of stray away from the formula that, that served him well indeed and I think that's probably the the frustration around many of us over the years has been that it almost encourages players to want to move on from Saints Saints find it hard to keep players at the best of time but if they're not getting the recognition that they think they deserve then uh, they'll move on to clubs where they uh, automatically get picked but there we go he got there in the end and uh, obviously we wish Prousey all the best uh, of luck over the coming few days with England right let's go on with the uh, episode of TSP then this is in partnership with saintsarchive.com and saintsworld.co.uk it's episode 68 and it's sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk happyhottubs.co.uk at happy hot tubs we specialize in hot tubs it's all we've done for 35 years so if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone then we're the place for honest clear and friendly advice 
Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk. 0% excludes free throw range. So as mentioned in the intro, we reached out directly to our TSP patrons earlier this week, asking whether they had any questions they'd like to ask, both to test us and to hopefully give our listeners some thoughts and insights. Thanks to all of you who replied. It's much appreciated. We've got a few that we're going to work through. Um, I'm not necessarily going to get Steve and Adam to answer all of them because we might be here a while. But uh, let's start with a, a nice easy one then, Adam. This one came in from Mark. So he said, with so many high-value players out on loan, do you think any will have a future under Ralph at Saints next season? Personally, I'd be very interested to see what we could do with Buffal, given how he has galvanised certain players so far. Oh, right, well... I, I think mean, he means how Ralph has galvanised players so far, not how Buffal has galvanised yes. players so far. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably safe to say. I think when you look at the, the list of like the higher-profile players that are out on loan, you can pretty quickly whittle down the ones that Ralph is going to want to keep. The easy ones to tick off, I guess, Stephen Davis, his contract expires at the end of the season, clearly it's not going to be renewed. Um... Geordie Classy, or, you know, we often forget about him. He's actually got another year left on his contract. Uh, he's 2020, so they've still got a small situation with him, but there's every chance they could loan him out for another year, or they might just have to, you know, kind of write that one off and let him go for nothing or, or next to nothing to get him off the wage bill. Those don't seem too problematic. The others are slightly more difficult. Harrison Reed presents, obviously, a bit of a dilemma. You know, realistically, as it stands, uh, is he going to get in the Saints team? Um, well, the chances are probably not. But what do you do with him? They gave him a very long contract. I must admit, I felt a little bit strange at the time. I didn't really understand why they were giving him such a massively long contract. Mm. And and again, it's a case of, well, would you uh, try and get rid of him? You don't want him just sitting around not playing. So that's... But but maybe he, at least being a younger player, is one that Ralph might like to have a look at and, well, and make and a just, yeah, decision. And would, and would you say that probably him, I know we've spoken about this before, I know it's not one of Mark's questions, but essentially Geordie Classy and Harrison Reed to me, are very similar players. They're sort of small terrier-type midfielders, so you don't necessarily need both of them in and around the squad anyway. And therefore, as a younger player, there's probably more chance that Harrison Reed would be seen, if, if you were going to keep one of the two of them, he'd probably be the one. If you're going to keep one of the two, but I don't think that's how you look at it, is it? Because you they're they're both not there at the moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, you look at the central midfield options as they stand now. You know, I think you'd have a fair argument to say you don't need either of them. Yeah. Because um, you know they've got other players in those positions. Unless the only thing I could think is Mario Lamina has been quite hit and miss, really, hasn't he? As a signing. But he is somebody who probably retains a decent market value. I think there's a, probably a market for him out there. Um, so if you thought Reed might do it, then you could cash in and mm. get some money for Lamina and then potentially reinvest that into another area of the squad with Reed coming in to replace him. And um, if that's what Ralph thinks, that's the only thing I can really uh, think of in that position. Otherwise, I think the numbers don't stack up for really needing either of them to be yeah. honest yeah. Um, keep going through the, the players out on loan you've got um, obviously Cedric uh, again another year on his contract 2020 for him as well I think so again not a massive problem there's probably a market for Cedric somewhere you probably would get a bit of money for him not loads but a little bit with the year left on his contract and bear in mind we didn't, we didn't pay hardly anything for him in the first no, place exactly. so whatever a couple whatever of million or something wasn't it? Is 3 profit, million yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a market for him. I can't see a way back for him now. I mean, he's not going to want to come back either, is he? Let's be honest, after the embarrassment of getting shipped out for, for a 19, 20-year-old who hasn't played, he's... There's no, I don't, I don't see a way back for him. So, right. and let's be honest, I mean, Jan, Jan Valerie is the future, isn't he? He's proven himself over 20 games that yeah. he can play in that position. He's just got a new contract. I think lots of us have turned to him. You know, we've not seen him beaten at the back post yet, like Cedric. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think many of us would move Cedric on. Yep, and you don't, you don't need your reserve right back does not need to be somebody who's a seasoned international footballer at yep. Southampton Football Club. With all due respect, you don't need that. If um, Ralph believes that Kane Ramsey's making enough progress, then you go with two youngsters down that flank. Mm. Um, and Cedric, again, is, is profit to spend elsewhere. So then you come to what I think are the troublesome trio of what you do with them. You've got Wesley Hoyt, you've got Guido Carrillo, and you've got Sofian Buffal. Now, Ralph has bombed Hoyt out, so I think it's safe to say that Ralph is not going to really want him back. Yep. Your problem with all of these guys like a lot of the, the problems are going to have in the summer. And I, I think this is going to be a big summer for them. Uh, but I think it's actually going to be a lot more difficult than people expect because Ralph getting down to his ideal squad number that he discussed with me when I did that big interview with him, he is going to have to, on the assumption that he's going to sign, I would say probably around three players, I would guess this summer, but they're going to go for three very high quality players. Mm hmm. They are going to need to shift, I reckon, 10 to 12 players, senior players this summer. Jesus. And, and well, you look at the size of the squad. Well, you've got yeah. all these lone players coming back. It's That's another – the squad's big, and then you chuck another seven players into it. Yep. It's huge. Um, but the problem you've got is you've got your Wesley Hoyts, you've got your Carrillos, you've got your Bufals, uh, you know, you've got your Fraser Forsters, people like that. You know, they're on long contracts. They're on huge wages, and they – you know, they haven't done it at mm. Saints. So you've got to try and find clubs for them. Now they will, you know, they will find some clubs for them. They might have to take a big cut, a big loss on some of these players, but they, I'm sure they can find some suitors, but just getting out all these players to get in these bigger names or whatever is not going to be straightforward in terms of, okay, so we cancel out Hoyt as being one that he would probably look at. So then you're left with Carrillo and Buffal. And, and would he be interested in, those two well i mean Carrillo to start with uh i think they need to change up the striking department this summer i think they need to freshen that up i don't think they can go kind of with what they've got yeah could he be an option i think it's hard to imagine but what sort of a chance did he really get when he was here he didn't do anything of no but he really kind of came and went so quickly maybe it is worth having a look at him Buffal. There's kind of a school of thought that Buffal might be the one that Ralph could could convert, if you like, and really sort of focus his attention and his talents. I get that argument, but I think, to be honest, in that position, I think that that is a position that Saints will look to buy in mm. personally. That's kind of the quality position, um, sort of Buffal, sort of wide trickery. But I think say, Ralph wants pace, yeah. which, which Buffal doesn't have. And so I think that they will dip into the market with a with a big signing that has pace in those wide areas. And so where does Buffal fit in? And I think Buffal only comes into the reckoning if you say you're going to get rid of Elianusi. Because there's no point in having Elianusi and Buffal there, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And then you've still got your Redmonds, you've got your Prowseys, you've got your potential new signing, Sims. The, you just don't need all those players, frankly. So... Yeah. I reach the conclusion that when I look at it, 
I think the majority of them are surplus to requirements. It's just a case of how and if you can move them on. Yeah, fair enough. So, okay, so that kind of answers a bit of... Uh, Anybody Paul- disagree? No, 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 I don't think so. I mean, no. I, I think, I guess the concern I would have with Bufal would be, uh, his work rate. And, you know, Ralph has already said that he wants a team that works hard. And whilst you can carry a few players, you know, you do need players that are going to put the effort in. And I'm not sure, particularly away from home, whether Bufal would be the, you know, the right sort of attitude for that, really. But, um, look, it kind of, um, alludes to some of the, the question or, or sort of answer some of the question that, that Paul sent in as well. So, Steve, just, just sort of briefly then, what, in, in terms of players that are currently at the squad, permanently so still with Saints at the moment so the likes of maybe Charlie Austin Shane Long Al Unisi those sort of players he said you know which players do you you guys think will leave in the summer so out of those we may be spoken about Hoyt and Al Unisi but maybe up front Charlie Austin Shane Long would you move both of them on in the summer or would you keep either of them I think Austin will probably go Long I think a lot with Long will depend on his fitness Mm. because one thing we've obviously had with him during his time with us is that he's he continually picks up these niggling injuries that keep him keep him out for a month, six weeks. And then when he comes back, he's rusty and the cycle begins again. And I mean, everyone knows he's not going to he's not going to get you 20 goals a season. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody's under any remote illusion that Shane Long is a goal scoring centre forward. But there are a lot of intangibles and the work rate and dragging defenders around and just being a general pain in the ass to opposition defenders. Yeah does count for a lot and there aren't that many players who can fulfill that role and are also seemingly no players going to be happy sitting on the bench and playing a bit part role but I think he would accept his lot in life Mm. similar to what Yoshida was two years ago in that you know what you're getting with him but you also know that he's not going to be he's not going to be kicking up a stink behind the scenes yeah um so I think in that regard I think Long is a more likely one to stay but yeah, I, I think I would imagine Austin will be gone. I mean, where he goes, who knows? Um, I just find it difficult to believe any Premier League side would take a chance on him. I guess you um, can see maybe one of the promoter teams, you know, I don't know, for, for example, at time recording, maybe a Norwich or something, thinking he's someone that could get them 10 goals in the Premier League next season and uh, give them a I chance think, of staying up. I you think, never know. I think Norwich's strikers are already better than him. I think Timo Pukki is a much better player, yep. more mobile. He, he gives you more of a game outside the box. Mm. Um, I mean, we've we've had this discussion before that if you're going to play Austin, you've got to play exactly to his strengths, which is you get the ball wide and you get the ball into the box and you don't ask him to um, do too much linking linking of play 40 yards from goal. Mm, mm. Um, and we're not going to do that. His goal scoring record actually in terms of goals per minute is actually very good, but he's just not playing enough because yeah. we're never going to play the system that suits him. And so as a result, he's had too many games where he's just completely anonymous. So just briefly then, Steve, as well. So um, Adam mentioned Mario Lamina there. So we had a question actually that came in sort of in between pods from a non-patron. So we'll just move to that now and then we can cover it off. So it was from Matthew Lomas at St. Matt 24. He said, um, question for the next pod, Mario Lamina, do you see him getting back into the side when he is fit again? Um, Obviously, we've seen him in the training pictures this week that he looks to be back in training, Steve. So again, you know, you look at that competition in midfield, the likes of Prousey, Hoiberg, Romeo, there's three that have sort of proven themselves over the last few months. He's not going to be a shoo-in, but we know the qualities that Mario Lamina has got. So is he someone that you think can play a pivotal part between now and the end of the season? Yes, I do. Um, and, the, and the main reason I say that is because if you look at the games in the sort of early part of um, Hasenhutl's spell with us, when Lamina was fit, he played. Yeah. 
um whether it was for 45 minutes or for 60 minutes i don't think he did 90 minutes in any game but and everyone everyone could see that he wasn't fully fit but even at 80 90 percent ralph wanted 45 to 60 minutes out of him yeah um so i think from that ralph rates him i think he thinks he is probably our best midfielder in terms of being able to go both ways i don't think he particularly likes the defensive side of side of things but he can at least do it mm. and he's got the pace and dribbling ability to actually transition from from defense into attack and and launch counterattacks yeah. which i think i think is going to be hugely important i mean perhaps not for the rest of this season but certainly next season once we've had a pre-season of working on exactly what system ralph wants to play getting some new players integrated perhaps and that sort of thing. And I think Lamine is going to play a very big part in that. Excellent. OK. Right. Another question from uh, Paul then, Adam, for you. So um, Paul asked, which of the academy players are highly rated by Ralph and the club that we may see make an impact next year as Valerie has this? So any insight on that, Adam? There's certainly quite a few that, that I think Ralph likes. So, you know, you can argue you know, Valerie's obviously had the impact, but how big an impact they've had and what they will have going forward. The obvious ones are Oberfemi and Sims. Yep. who have come through the academy in, in one way or another, or, or be Oberfemi a bit like quite a lot of them, sort of only notionally has come through the academy. He's, he's one of our signed. Own. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's one of our own. <laughs> like yeah. Stevens, yeah. Another one. Another <laughs> one of our own. Yeah, and Valerie. <laughs> a, born and brought up in Millbrook, that lad. Spent, spent his life on the terraces at the Dow, yeah. That's yeah, it. he loved it, yeah. <laughs> loved the Dow. We're getting to a generation of players who weren't alive when the Dow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that makes that me feel old. Exactly, it makes yeah. me feel old, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you've got those those three as kind of, I guess, your your frontline players because they've played senior mm. um, to a relative degree. So then who else have we got? We've got Kane Ramsey, yep. who's obviously played a little bit. Now, he's obviously a right back really by trade, and so Valerie is ahead of him. But as we discussed, there's a chance there maybe for to be a, a sort of second choice right back. Mm. I mean, Saints might want to go and get somebody senior which would be a blow for Ramsey if that's the case. But nonetheless, I'd be surprised, I think. Mm. Well, I wouldn't think that that's where they would want to prioritise. I guess yeah. the only thing is if you decided, if, he, if Ralph decided Ramsey wasn't quite ready, I don't think you would want to go a whole season with Valerie as your only option. And you probably could get in... Jack you know, Stevens as, a, as, an op- as an option, given well, that you, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have to mark anybody? Well, it's an option, but I was just thinking <laughs> that you could probably get in a senior, relatively seasoned right-back, but you know, not an absolute top-draw one, but mm-hmm. actually a right proper right-back that could do you a job, and it probably wouldn't be that expensive a player to have on your books. A bit like when... Someone honest, like Jeremy Pied, for example. Yeah, yeah, well, something yeah. like that. Or, you know, we've seen Cuco Martina in that role as well. You know, those sort of players maybe maybe not i don't know but then you've got slattery callum slattery who's obviously played a little bit yeah um and again i guess that kind of comes into the reckoning with harry reed as well mm-hmm. um because i guess he looks like the next one in line central midfield at the moment yep. of the youngsters i mean i saw uh, him up at burnley and i thought he competed well that day steve you were there as well but I, I certainly didn't think that callum slattery looked out of place no i thought he was very good in that game which was quite surprising given that um, most of the game kind of spent looking up in the sky as Burnley pumped the ball <laughs> up in, up into the clouds. But um, no, when when we got the ball down and and played with it, I thought he he looked very assured. Yeah. And what about Tyreek uh, Johnson, Adam? Because I, I know he came off at half time in that cup game against Derby, but again, he looked to have quite a sweet left foot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's uh, 
yeah, he's he's another one, isn't he? That's a potential uh, to make a breakthrough. Again, you've got to reckon with what the competition is, and that's mm. the difficulty for some of these guys. And it's all right saying you, you're going to give a pathway, and you you kind of you want to give a pathway. It's not quite as simple as that, but it's a bit like Ronald said uh, when he was here. You kind of you still have to have players that are good enough for now. It's all right going on about the Southampton way and this philosophy of bringing young players through but ultimately the Premier League is a is a short-term results-based business and so unless you've got you know a manager who's basically backed with doesn't matter what you do mm. in the next three years you won't be sacked you put if you play the long, young players and it goes disastrously yeah. we won't sack you yeah. now that is complete pie in the sky that won't happen yeah. if Ralph plays all the young players next year and they lose the first 10 games Ralph will be sacked yeah and that's as simple as that so he has to kind of balance this up and it's all right saying we want young players, we want young players to come through, etc. But two, three, four young players is probably as many as you're going to get. So then with Johnson, again, it's not a lack of ability, but it's a bit of your competition. I think the other one Ralph likes is at the moment is Jake Vokins as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, he's a left back. And so you've got Matt Target there. You've got Ryan Bertrand there. Mm. Um, yes, Bertrand's not going to go on forever in a day, but he is still currently your senior seasoned left back. Yep. And Target is very real competition for him. So you might like Vogue. Bertrand's only 29. Mm. Yeah, exactly. He's, 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 not... got, he's got a good five years left in him at least, exactly. doesn't he? Yep. Yeah, yep. totally. And so you're like with Vokins, again, do you suddenly go with Bertrand like you've done with Cedric and go, actually, you know what? I really like this lad. So sorry, we'll just get rid of the senior player. Mm-hmm. It's a big call to make those decisions all over the pitch, yep. if, if that makes sense. You can make them once or twice in certain positions, but ultimately you d- wouldn't want to just put out a team of of, y- of youngsters in the Premier League all the time because you'd probably get panned every week. Yeah. So um, I, think, I think the good thing is, I mean, it's evident there are, I mean, that, that must be at least 10 names we've reeled off there. You know, a couple of seasons ago, we would have been scratching around for one or two, wouldn't we? So I know there was a piece in your paper that earlier this week about Ralph being aware of the under-23s, what they're doing. And as you say, it's not just simple enough to pick them up and put them in the first team, Adam, but clearly they are looking at that. And I think the good thing for fans now is that there's definitely more evidence of youngsters coming into the team at some point. Yeah, and I think for the players themselves, it feels like there is a pathway. Now, mm. the reality is, we talked about most of these guys, the, the cold, hard reality of this list of 10 that we've just reeled off, you'll be lucky if in a, you know, in 18 months, two years' time, really two of them have established themselves. Yep. You'd be pretty pleased with that. And the other eight will fall off the radar along the way somewhere. And that's probably the truth of it. But if there's just that incentive for the young players mm. to come through and to know they're going to play... And also, I think Ralph um, has plans for the way he wants the academy to be run as well. And I think one of the things with Ralph and with the change of um, at the very top of the club, I don't think we're going to see these massive contracts just handed out to players who have barely played. I think personally, I know why they do it. It's an insurance policy. It's a protectionism type thing. And I do get that. But the kind of there's no hunger in paradise saying is completely true um mm. i think and and the way that they just started handing around these big four five year contracts to players that had played two or three senior games and realistically if you looked at it in the cold light of day didn't really look like they were definitely going to make it just takes the incentive away for these guys and i really hope that that's one thing we won't see with ralph and certainly with valerie 
obviously has just signed a new contract, but Valerie's just played 20 games in the Premier League. Yeah. He's proved himself. Yeah. He's done that first. He's not played two games and, oh, yeah, this lad looks bright. Oh, here's a five-year contract on mm. twenty, thirty thousand pounds a week. Yeah. And they've done that. They've got some, you know, some young players there who haven't quite made the grade, who are on these massive contracts that if they see out, they'll be 24 years old and they'll never have to think about money again for the rest of their lives. You're just totally reliant on their desire to go and play at that point. Otherwise, you're just stuck with them. And, and they shouldn't be handing out these contracts to people who haven't done anything to earn it. And Valerie's the perfect example of our, the way I think it should be done. Yes, OK, you might get unfortunate if you pick the wrong character and you get some mercenary who just goes, actually, you know what, I'm just going to milk this and I'm going to leave in a year and a half and try and get loads and loads of money. But I think most people, if they're brought up the right way and they're given their chance at Saints, will actually say, OK, that's fair. I'll prove myself. You give me the contract, I'll sign it. That's yeah. fine. And, and that's the way I think it should be. Just finally then, Steve, we mentioned one Jake there, a name that keeps going around the Saints fan base. I think, again, I use the word frustration loosely around his opportunities and uh, such like is Jake Hesketh, another academy prospect. Um, he's 22 now, so obviously he's starting to get towards, uh, you know, heading towards the, the sort of middle part of his career, if you can call it that. Um, he's out on loan again at Milton Keynes Dons. He's someone that you know, we've seen in fits and starts and has sort of added, you know, a bit of quality when he's been on. Again, he's been annoyed and probably irritated by niggling injuries during that time but in terms of academy prospects is he someone that you still think can make it a Saints or do you think he's potentially had his chance um I'm gonna say no while by all accounts he did very well at on loan at Burton Albion although there was there was that one period where uh, Nigel Clough called him out for some sort of attitude issue yeah although by the sound of it he then sorted it out given how annoyed Clough was that he then couldn't re-sign him again but the fact that he's now been sent out on loan to a club in League Two, I think, realistically, that's probably the writing on the wall, yeah. um, I suspect. Yeah. And then the last question from Paul that uh, we got was, uh, if you could sign three players from the lower leagues in the summer, who would they be? So I hope you've done your homework, Steve. I did give you a 24 hours notice on this. So uh, Yeah, I've got, I've got three names. Good. One is com- one is completely unrealistic, and that's Jack Grealish. Yeah, I had him on my list. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just just an absolute no-brainer. I mean, yeah. when Daniel Levy eventually uh, dusts off his checkbook, that will be at least forty million quid he's parting with. Yep. Other than that, I'd say Che Adams does look promising. I know we were obviously heavily linked with him in uh, January. I mean, I yep. don't know how how uh, true the rumours are that basically we were offering ten million, Birmingham wanted eleven, and we told them to stuff it. <laughs> um, that would I mean, be true Saint style, wouldn't it? Really? Oh yeah, yeah it'd be absolutely peak <laughs> Saints. I mean, yeah, you want to drive a bargain, but I yeah. think there are sometimes where you just got to be a little bit pragmatic about these things. Yeah, he'd be the next one, and one who's not really been spoken about, but I think he's got like twenty-one goals this season. Seems to be playing sort of off the wing. Mm. Is um, Jared Bowen at Hull okay. um, City. City? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's looked very useful. I mean, I think he made his debut for Hull when he was very, very young. He mm. was about 16 or 17. I think he might have scored and, and been like their youngest ever goal scorer. Yeah. And he's been a regular fixture in their side for a number of years now. And yet, not even the sight of a under-21 call-up, which seems fairly mental. Probably because uh, he plays for little Hull City. Well, Steve. yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there is that. But, I mean, you would have just thought those numbers are just, mm. you just can't ignore that. No, absolutely. Um, have you done your homework, Adam, or did you skip that one? No, I skipped that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're too big time for the lower leagues, really, aren't you? No, though, I tell you what, I was on my bike in the garage training at the weekend, and I did watch the uh, Leeds-Sheffield United game. Right. And it did 
remind me of what a great league the championship is. Yeah, great, great it's to watch. As, yeah, but it's great to watch as a neutral. It's horrible to be in it. I don't think I'd fancy our chances if we went down because it's just, I mean, literally everyone beats everyone, don't they? Yeah, you need the momentum. Yeah. If you've, if you're coming up and you've got the momentum like we had in our last season down there, yeah. then yeah, it's great. You've got that sort of groundswell of support and, and everyone's, everyone's on the up. But if you're dropping down into it, it's just a slog. I mean, look at, look at the absolute state of Stoke and Swansea in the league. I mean, I've, mm. I know Swansea were excellent against Man City at the weekend and I'm unlucky to lose that game. Yeah. But overall this season, they've been absolute toilet. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and Stoke have been, Stoke have been absolutely appalling. Um, a lad, a lad I go to England games with is a Stoke fan. And just the messages I see from him, like every single week, I think he's been to four nil nil draws in a row. Um, (laughs) such as just the, just the grim state of affairs that, and and this is a side that spent the best part of 65 million in the summer. I know, I know. Claude Puel would love that, wouldn't he? Four nil nils in a row. They are just dreadful. (laughs) I know. So, no, well, there we go. So that's fine. So, well, I I did my homework as well. So uh, I feel like I should automatically say Sam Boats because I absolutely love Sam Boats, but he wasn't one of my three, but uh, there we go. And I thought, Che Adams I mean to be fair Che Adams I mean I, I wouldn't say I hadn't heard of him because that makes me sound really arrogant but I mean I hadn't really heard of him until we were linked with him and then Peachy said his reputation's quite bad so I'll, I'll leave that one off so so the three I went with were Jack Grealish obviously because I think for obvious reasons but I think he'll be uh, off to far bigger clubs than Saints and then the, the other two I had were um, Ollie Watkins at Brentford he's uh, a name that I think has been linked with us before but uh, he's still only 23 he's got quite a good goal scoring record plays forward winger and then the other one I was, I was struggling a bit but I did look at Jared Bowen, Steve, but in the end I went with Tom Lawrence at Derby because uh, mm. I think he's a he's a Welsh international, but he is 25 and he's one of those players. I wouldn't say he keeps you on the edge of your seat, but he does make things happen. And uh, against us, he gave us a, a Torah time a couple of uh, games in the cup this season. So the other thing I think I was thinking about, Steve, and you're probably a better place to answer this because I know um, you probably watch a bit more football than Adam does, is it's that jump up now from... No, it's not only the cost. I mean, you think of the likes of Ben Gibson and Alfie Mawson, players like that, that aren't even getting a game in the Premier League now, but it is quite a jump from the Championship up to the Premier League now in terms of quality. So you do, I think you do struggle to find players that can come come in and sort of step up straight away. Yeah, definitely. I think unless you're buying somebody who is sort of 19, 20 and is already worth... 20 million quid yeah then i think you're buying somebody who might ultimately end up being good enough but you're not quite sure i mean alfie mawson was a weird one because he'd obviously had a good couple of years in in the premier league with swansea and and his first season he was getting rave reviews Mm. um did he get an england call up I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I'll, I'll Google it while you're talking. I mean, he, Carry on. I mean, he certainly didn't play. I have a feeling he may have been in the squad. And everyone was saying, oh, Fulham made a great sign there for, what, 15 million quid. That's mm. an absolute steal. I mean, as it's turned out, he's been a combination of awful and injured. Yeah. And kind of the same has been said back Ben Gibson as well at Burnley. He's, he's had two bad injuries and um, that have kept him out from most of the season. And when he came back... Um, they just started off on their um, their good run that they had at the start of this year. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he's not been able to force his way um, back into the side. Yeah. So I mean, it's it a lot a lot of it is circumstance. Mm. Mm. Um, there you go. You're right. Yep. 15th of March 2018, Mawson was named for the first time in the England squad for pre-2018 FIFA World Cup friendlies against the Netherlands and Italy in March, but he didn't play in either of them, so he's not actually got a cap yet. No, I missed those two as well because I was away. Yeah. Which 
turned out was a blessing in disguise because that <laughs> that Amsterdam trip sounded like absolute carnage. <laughs> there we go. So right, moving on then. So uh, there was a second question from Mark Adam. It's more of a it's probably more of a statement actually, but he said, "Can you get some early info on pre-season trips? I don't know if you've got any yet, or you can uh, tip us the wink off the line. But would be great to have a couple of matches in Germany, Austria, like Cumin used to go to Holland. But every season they are announced so late, it makes travelling expensive due to higher flights and hotel prices. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say China, right? Uh, well, no, actually, funny enough, I had my first conversation about pre-season and what pre-season was looking like a couple of weeks ago. Good and the answer, well done. Yeah, I know, completely uh, fluke, really. But the answer is I don't actually have a concrete answer because I don't think it's 100% sorted. I mean, the, the problem they've got is ultimately, well, uh, first of all, I'd say I sympathise, and I think a lot of people sympathise with the, the lateness at which it's being announced in recent years. But I think... That the truth is that football clubs don't any longer see pre-season as something that actually is made for domestic fans. Mm-hmm. It's either made to grow your brand uh, abroad or it's kind of considered in reality, we'd rather there weren't any fans there. We just like to play this game and we just get warmed up for the season. Um, and so I think that there is a little bit of that and you don't just see it Saints, you see it a lot of places now. Um, and then at Saints, you've got to then throw on top of that this, I don't quite know how to describe it, because I don't want to call it friction, because I think that's the wrong way of describing it. But you've got this these two things bumping up against each other, maybe. The, uh, the owner obviously would like them to go to China. Mm-hmm. For, that's a very obvious thing, because part of the reason we assume he's bought the club is, you know, for, for promotion of his businesses in China. And so he wants his football team out there. Yeah. And the only time the football team can go is in the summer. So um, that's pretty obvious. But the counter to that is on the football side, they don't want to go to China um, <laughs> because it's a long way to go. Uh, the conditions and the facilities are not to the standard of which they require. Yep. And it's not great. Now, last year, Saints did their best to put a positive spin on it. But as I said at the time, all the feedback I got off the record behind the scenes was the China trip was pretty dreadful. Mm. And in actual fact, I think the reality was that at best they were no further forward than when they started, when they came back from China. At worst, actually, it had a detrimental effect. And I suspect, had Mark Hughes not signed an NDA, I assume when he left and had decided to come out and explain and defend his position at Saints Mm. and what he did, I suspect we would have heard something about that because... I don't think there was a feeling amongst people, a lot of people I spoke to, that that China trip negatively impacted their pre-season and therefore the start of the season. So you've got these two things. Managers want to go to Europe Mm. because they can go away from here, prying eyes. They can get the team together for 10 days, you know, without families around and things like that. So they can have some time together as a squad, bonding, working hard on the training pitch, get a few games in, come back, finish up pre-season. Jobs are good. Yep. These days, because of the money, you know, clubs are trying to do almost two trips. One as a a marketing trip, and the other as a as a sort of private trip. And I don't I don't say they don't want fans at those, but I I think that in a way they kind of prefer that they're not. Yeah. They're almost like kind of behind closed doors as much as they can be. So I know that's not answered the question, but I hope that explains a bit of the rationale as to where they are. And the other thing is that of course some of the big things get sorted out early. So I don't know to what extent Ralph has had input on everything that's going to happen this summer and what is kind of 
thrust upon him because it's what they have to do or what's already been arranged. But I would expect them to go far afield for a brief period and to also go to a European location for a week or so and play a couple of games at home. That's what that's the pattern I expect, Um, whether it's right or not. We'll wait and see. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm totally up for a European tour if uh, we can take TSP on the road and go and have a few German beers and watch them against uh, Leipzig and then do a podcast. That would be brilliant. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep uh, an eye on that one. So, great. All right. A couple more questions then. So um, this was less of a question, actually, more of a statement by Glenn. Um, he said, did you see the contrasting expressions on Lagod and Merson's faces when Saints scored the winner against Spurs? It was so funny. Um, you guys wouldn't have seen it because you were at uh, the game, obviously. Um, I can't say I did. Pretty sure we can uh, work out that it would have been absolute like that and I'm sure Latiz would have been uh, delighted so right um, we're going to move to a non-patron question then we'll come back for one more question from a a patron so this is a non-patron question it's quite a long one but it's absolutely worth reading now and uh, Steve I'm going to come to you on this one so the question is it says it's Tim here from Olympia Washington USA I'm an old man who grew up following the traditional North American sports but about eight years ago I adopted football and soccer as my primary sport the EPL is my favorite league and Saints is my team the total Saints podcast has provided me with 67 episodes of enlightening and amusing commentary. Anyway, my question, how can Maurizio Pochettino's suspension qualify as any kind of punishment? As a newcomer to the sport, I've gradually come to understand the reasoning behind most of football rules and practices, but this sideline ban seems like a penalty in name only. He gets to attend the game, he sits in the stands where he can see the ebb and flow of the match better than he can on the sidelines, he gets to give a half-time talk and he's in constant communication with his staff and therefore can direct strategies and substitute players as he sees fit. He even gets to use his unfair suspension as a bit of a team motivator. American football teams understand the benefit of viewing the game from elevation, the majority of offensive and defensive coordinators in the NCAA, which I think is college American football, and NFL coach from the press box. If I were an EPL manager, I'd want to be suspended every week. Does such a suspension make sense to any of you Englishmen? So, Tim, firstly, thanks for the compliments on TSP. Um, obviously, it didn't pay much dividends in the end, Steve, because we did win, but I can understand where Tim's coming from, because surely if you're suspended, but you can still actually manage and coach and give the teams a uh, a half-time team talk it doesn't really feel like much of a punishment no um and yeah I, I do completely sort of accept the the points that that tim makes there it's it does seem strange but then you kind of look at the convention with football managers not just in this country but pretty much the world over they don't tend to sit up in the in the stand anymore Mm. There, there was a period, I think, in the sort of mid to late 90s where you used to get quite a few managers who'd watch the first half from up in the director's box. And you'd, you'd see like the cameras would pan to them if it was a televised game and um, they'd have that massive phone um, that was uh, commu- they, which they'd then be able to pick up and speak to their assistant on the um, on the touchline. Obviously, now it's all sort of Bluetooth earpieces and all that sort of stuff. You'd get a much better sort of top down view of how how the game is flowing and you could spot gaps a lot easier. But for whatever reason, they just don't do it anymore. I don't know whether they just don't trust players and they want they want to be able to be stood right on the dotted line of that technical area, micromanaging everything. Yeah. And I mean, they obviously clearly don't trust their assistants to do it on their behalf. And it does it does seem very strange. Everyone has walkie talkies and Skypes and phones. They can do whatever they want these days. But, you know, a punishment should be a punishment for me. I, I would kind of agree with Tim to a certain extent. If you get a punishment, you don't attend the game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, stadium bans have been handed out to managers before. 
um, I think Alan Pardew for his that weird headbutt thing with David Myler a few years back yeah. got like a six game stadium ban. Yeah. And so he was watching it on a stream um, in a hotel room or something like that. Mm. That is a more appropriate way of dealing with it. But at the end of the day, we, we ultimately know that both the FA and the Premier League are either a combination of toothless or don't give enough of a toss to um, put in place those sort of stringent punishments. Yep, yep. I used to get tired out watching the likes of Steve McLaren and Steve Coppel, who Tim was a ready manager for a long time, sort of running up and down the stairs and then back upstairs and downstairs. And it was tiring enough watching them, wasn't it? But uh, there we go. So hopefully I that... Think, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to interject, if you don't mind, just say one other quick thing about uh, the way football is nowadays is that most clubs have analysts working during the matches live during the matches so they'll actually be in the stadium having the the bird's eye view from up Mm. upon high and with the benefit of the camera systems that you're allowed access to in grounds so is is it why scout that most of them use i think that's a question i don't know the answer to but they will be normally in touch with somebody on the bench that isn't the manager mm. um, to kind of pass on observations. And I think in, you know, it, it depends how close the manager is to the analyst, I think, um, as to how much kind of they want from that person and how much they don't want. Um, I think majority of clubs certainly will work on uh, with the analyst on set pieces. So the analyst will sit up and see, oh, that's how they're lining up for set pieces. Oh, this player's taken up that position that we hadn't expected. And they kind of will be in touch with the bench for things like that, certainly. And then I think the rest of it depends on on how much the man- input the manager does or doesn't want. And certainly the analysts will be in and around at half time with computers, with um, clips of things that have happened during the first half where they can uh, quickly show the manager and, and the players positioning and things like that so but obviously it's up to each manager how much they do or don't want but a lot of that does go on yeah it's weird though isn't it because obviously similar to tim mentioned in american football in rugby we've just seen in the six nations that the coaches very much sit up in the stand alongside those analysts so it, i guess it depends the uh, the type of game and uh, the ability of players to take on instructions and retain them but uh, there we go so cool right last question then came from Gio one of our patrons so Gio thanks for the question this one's for for you Adam hopefully you can uh, sort of summarise fairly uh, um, sort of acutely but um, I was just wondering what your opinion is or what the latest news is on Les Reed's successor it seems to have quietened down after the initial change and the knee jerk rumour mill has also appeared to cease with the summer fast approaching and the ever looming transfer window I feel there's a gap in our club structure this is the Position who in the past has been in charge of the football direction of our club and been instrumental in our signings. Do you think this quiet point of the season gives the board some time to look into it, or do you think we'll wait until the summer now, or maybe a complete restructure is imminent, especially as Ralph Kruger has started to be linked with the NHL once again? Oof, right, well, I think that they're still committed to doing this. They did say that they weren't going to be in any rush to do it, and reading between the lines of what I was told at the time I, I was kind of thinking yeah we'd sort of they get somebody in place before the end of the season yep. um but certainly they weren't going to hurry to do it so yeah i would say we're potentially in the window where they might want to try and accelerate um something i think that they are making progress from what i've heard now i think that the thought process had sort of gone along the lines of moving away from having a Les Reed type again mm-hmm. um, and maybe a couple of people in there in slightly different roles however they do it 
but um to to actually sort of not just put all your eggs in one basket effectively but to maybe have a couple of people that are dealing with uh the different elements that need dealing with there um and having an overview rather than just one person yeah which i kind of think does make some sense as long as the roles are very clearly defined now that was where they were moving to i think how much further down the line they've got and how much they've got into who those people are going to be i must confess i actually don't know the answer to that but i would certainly think they will be coming into some serious planning for the summer very soon and so they're going to need if they're going to still a point which i think that that's still their aim they're kind of going to need to do something you would think in the next month or so wouldn't you really to yep. give that person time to be able to sort of oversee some of that um i mean how much do you think ralph hasenhutel will play in this if at all i mean lesry left on what the 8th of november mark hughes left early december Ralph then came in early December, I think it was the 5th of December when he joined Saints. So the world has sort of changed maybe since Les Reed has moved on. There was that, that month there where Kruger and the Lights will have that chance to sort of assess what they want to do. So do you think Ralph Hasenhutel is playing a part in this and what he wants behind him? Or do you think the club are saying, look, you're our manager, you're doing that, we'll sort the rest of this out, it's up to us? Difficult, because I think that is what the latter option is what the club really wanted to happen in the first place. But... I think that they've got themselves such a good manager and the manager that they so wholeheartedly believe in and think is going to be fantastic that I think they're kind of backed into a slightly odd position already where they feel like they don't want to upset him mm-hmm. um, because they don't, you know, they just want this to go well. They, they believe in this guy. They believe this guy is going to be a great person for them. And we need um, some stability. And, and they need some stability and they don't want to lose this one. I think that they kind of feel that they can't undermine him. But also, if you're appointing somebody to oversee the football direction of the football club or a couple of people, then, yes, they need to work with the manager. But they ultimately are going to be the ones that are going to have to sack the manager potentially at some point or, you know, appoint a new manager and deal with all of that. And so they can't be the manager's appointment. There is a slight difficulty, natural difficulty, I would say, in the way that relationship will work. I think... The best thing that Saints could probably do is to speak to Ralph and kind of once they've got an idea what they want to do, say, look, this is the structure we're thinking of. Are you happy? Yeah. And, you know, and try and present it in a in a balanced way. Ralph's a reasonable guy. He understands the structures. I don't think he's the kind of person who's going to turn around and say, no, I want 100 percent control of every ass, you know, facet of this club. I think he understands the way it works. So that's fair enough. And I think he'll be reasonable about it. But to kind of take his views into account, but then to go off and appoint their own people. I don't think they can start asking Ralph to appoint the people because I think that just becomes in the long term uh, a big kind of conflict of interest. So, uh, yeah, I think they have to decide really what they want to do. Or the other option, of course, is that they just carry on as they are. Mm. And they just say to Ralph, OK, you are basically we're going to go to more of what we I would call an old school style. And you're the manager. You know, you yes, you have to work within budgets. Yes, you have to work alongside Ross Wilson or whoever it may be with recruitment. So it's not just one person deciding everything, but you're in charge. You you get to. Yeah, you know, we'll talk budgets and stuff and you can buy the players you want to buy. And then when you go, you know what, we'll do the same as we did for you. We'll appoint another manager and then we'll kind of give them that oversight and then the rest of the football direction of the club um we can kind of 
take care of? Do we really need somebody who's absolutely front and center just to help us sign off the paperwork for the academy and the women's and girls? Is that something you really need? I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. That's the other option, though. So watch this space is what we're saying, I think. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks again to all of you for your questions. Don't forget, if you'd like to become a TSP patron, then it's really easy. Just head to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and search for Total Saints Podcast. Simply then follow the Become a Patron instructions and Bob's your uncle. The support is gratefully appreciated and helps towards the running, hosting and production of TSP. Now, earlier this week, SaintsArchive.com and Total Saints Podcast joined up again for our latest Total Recall, this time with former Saints midfielder Glenn Cockrell. Enjoy. Bobby Stokes. to play. Here's Letizia! Who better to say farewell? Welcome to another special X-Saint edition of Total Recall. Joining myself, Leon and Ben tonight, is Glenn Cockrell. Glenn played over 700 games in a 22-year playing career and spent eight years with the Saints, where he's remembered for his excellent passing and shooting skills and sporting a fine head of hair. As a twist, we are also joined by a Saints Archive member, Paul Lane, who's been chosen by Random to come onto the show this evening and ask a few questions from the fans. OK, Glenn, off we go. You were born in Grimsby. Both your father and brother also played for Grimsby. What did they say to you when you first signed for arch-rivals Lincoln City? Uh, good question. Well, I think what probably put them off, I broke my leg quite badly when I was 13 years old playing for the school football team. And then I came back the following year, and I was a long time out because it was quite a bad break. I dislocated my kneecap and fractured my femur. So I was in hospital for about 16 weeks and then in plaster for another 12 um, up to my thigh. So um, I think they probably had that in mind. And then when I came back out, I started playing in goal for the school team, and I got selected for Gunsby Boys at under-15 level in goal. So it took a long, long time for my leg to get better. Maybe they, they had that in their minds, you know, and... And I was playing for a local team, Louth United. Um, and as a 16-year-old, it was quite a tough league. It was like the, it was a North Midlands league, which was probably sort of Conference North standard. So it was a, a decent standard for a 16-year-old. And I did all right for Louth. And Graham Taylor was the manager at Lincoln and contacted my dad. Said, oh, I've heard good reports about your son. We'd like to take him on. So it all went from there, really. And um, I think probably Grimsby was surprised that I did go there. But, um, you know, it was, it was probably their fault because um, I think they thought the broken leg might have, um, might have held me back. Well, a uh, question for you, Ben. Thank you for the game scoring in Swindon and Sheffield United before your big move to the Saints came around in 1985. How did that mm-hmm. move come about? Well, um, I remember playing for Sheffield United against Grimsby Town, but I only know this story because Chris later on told me, and uh, and he didn't really praise me too much, and I, and I think I did quite well for the first four or five. Well, I did all right for Southampton, to be fair, while I was there all the time, but uh, my first four or five years, you know, I did really well. Why he signed me, I, I was playing up front for Sheffield United for a few games, and we played against Grimsby Town, and Chris was playing, Chris Nicholl and Kevin Moore at the back, and I think we beat, we either beat them 4-3 or we drew 3 all. And I played really well that day. I think I scored two. I actually scored a hat-trick. But 
the ball hit the stanchion. Remember when they used to have the, the sort of arch stanchions? It hit the back of the stanchion and came back out, and the, the referee, he waved play on. But anyway, when I signed for Southampton, um, Chris told me it was because I'd done so well against him that he kept his eye on me for the next year or so. And then when he got the Southampton job, he, it was it was me on his mind for his first signing. So um, that, that's how it came about, really. Did you need much convincing to join the Saints, or did it seem like a bit of a good career choice at the time? No, no, no. Um, I've got to a few people, um, because Luton Town were desperate to sign me. They'd been desperate to sign me for about a year. And they were in the, the old first division as well as Southampton. But um, everybody kept putting me off that pitch. They had the plastic pitch at the time. And also, nothing against Luton area, but you know, a few people mentioned that. Um, but when Southampton came in, that that was the the club for me. You know, a great history. Always to me, as an outsider playing in the lower leagues for nearly ten years, Southampton was always a team that, that looked exciting. And uh, and I, I was always one of them lads. You know, I was a, a happy-go-lucky lad, and uh, I, I was a bit off the cuff sort of player. Um, knew, knew my strengths and I stuck to them and uh, and Southampton appealed to me and uh, uh, you know I didn't take much convincing when I spoke to Chris I, I drove down that day and um, and signed that evening so um, I, I was delighted you know I was delighted to have finally made it in the top league and you, you obviously played with the Wallace brothers Glenn you played with the mm-hmm. likes of Alan Shearer Matt Letizia so what mm-hmm. are your memories like of playing for Saints at that time well don't forget before that there was people like you know Lesser, lesser well-known names like Peter Shilton and uh, <laughs> David Wright. Armstrong, yeah, yeah. Mark Wright, Mark Dennis, Ivan was was around at the club goal like still. Uh, Alan Curtis was just about to leave um, for Swansea. Steve Moran, you know, there's some fantastic players. Nick Holmes, there were some brilliant, brilliant players at the club. Joe Jordan was still with us. So, um, you know, the, the names that you've just mentioned came, you know, a year or so later. Yep. Um, so I was surrounded for the nine years. I was surrounded in with fantastic players. Jimmy Case, you know, me and Jim just hit it off almost from day one. After after my uh, debut at Luton, me and Jim were then putting the field together and um, and that was it. You know, there was, there was no one else was getting in that team for four or five years and... Uh, I did feel sorry for two young lads. There was Neil Madison and Tommy Woodrington coming through. And uh, they just couldn't get in because me and Jim didn't get injured. We got suspended. Jim more than me now and again. Um, but, you know, we played so well together and no, no one else could get near us. So uh, uh, I had a fantastic time. And um, there were some great players from, from the day I signed till the day I left. Two nice, easy questions for you. Um, uh-huh. I've got some, got some great memories of uh, watching, watching you for Saints, Glenn. Um, first of all, what's your most memorable game? And secondly, what's your favourite goal you scored for Saints? Ooh, my most memorable game, uh, and there was quite a few early on because we did so well <laughs> in the cup competitions. Yeah. I've got to say the FA Cup semi-final. I know we got beat against Liverpool, but... Yeah. Um, I thought I just, so. Then. You know, and because of the size of the game and, and what it meant to the football club, and we were desperate to to get there, and we were so close after before, you know up to ninety minutes of, of to get in there. Um, there's, there's that game that sticks in my mind. There's a game before that at Brighton where I scored a decent goal. There's my first game back after. Um, I broke my jaw away at Tottenham when I scored two decent goals. And then I led the team out in 1991 um, at Wembley, which was a very proud moment to lead Southampton Football Club out at Wembley. 
but the game probably that does stick out is the FA Cup semi-final for me. And I, and I guess when we were putting these notes together, Glenn, we were trying to, and some of us are older than others, and et cetera, et cetera, but mm-hmm. we, were, we were trying to sort of think of, uh, you know, your, your career there. I, I guess it wasn't all rosy. You know, we, we unfortunately remember some of the, the Bramford years and that sort of thing. So I, I guess we were going to ask just yeah. to sort of how tough that was as a player for you playing for Saints when there was a lot of fan unrest around at that, that sort of early 90s. Yeah, well, unfortunately for me, I've, I've gone through it before, you know, at clubs like Swindon. Um, and and, and uh, not so much at Lincoln so much, but uh, but at Swindon, yeah, I, I tasted a, uh, a bit of bad blood. Not not always with the manager, but you know my my form suffered. I, I signed for Swindon as a twenty year old for um, quite a bit of money in in them days, hundred and twenty thousand pound, I think it was in nineteen seventy nine. Um, so I was a player that they obviously thought a lot of, and the minute I signed for them, I just couldn't get my game going and. Uh, so I'd heard all the booze before, thinking, you know, they're in what a waste of money. Um, and then they finally let me go back to Lincoln. Lincoln came back in for me um, 20 months later. So I didn't last very long at Swindon. And, and I, I personally thought my career was sort of going to stay in the, the bottom end of the of the leagues. Mm. And then they got me going again. So I'd, I'd heard that fan unrest before. And then it was unfortunate because, you know, to refer to Chris Nicholl, I thought he'd done a fantastic job. Uh, he wasn't a Laurie McMenemy, and he and I think that let him down, or the fans weren't used to it. Like Laurie was good with the press. Uh, I'm not saying Chris wasn't, but he he kept his cards close to his chest. And and I, you know, and you look at back at Chris's record, and, and we didn't do too bad. I think we'd all settle for that again. Yep. We finished in the top ten, top twelve every year, mm. um, with a limited squad as well. You know, you look at what they've got now, um, and there's some great players. Chris was brilliant. I mean, they went from one extreme to the other. Um, Laurie signed all the experienced lads, whereas Chris picked up, and I don't mean me here, but, you know, quite a few decent bargains down below. And uh, and all did quite well for the club and kept us in that top 10, top 12. So I think Chris was a bit unlucky. And then when likes of Tiz and Shearer all coming through and then when Ian took over, it was a, it was a gent, you know, I know not many Saints fans will like me saying this, but... You know, I speak to Tiz quite a bit, and uh, even Tiz doesn't, you know, he still thinks Ian Bramford was a decent bloke, which he was. Mm. And uh, and it, was, it wasn't very nice happening, but um, it was the first time probably it, it ever happened at Saints. You know, we had Ted Bates, and then Laurie, and then Chris, and all of a sudden, you know, there was somebody there that didn't like our so-called star player, mm. and, uh, and they turned on him. And it was a bit unfortunate, because he, he is a decent bloke, and... Uh, it was just, I think, how, how we probably handled the Tiz situation that, that made that unrest. And, uh, and it wasn't nice to be part of. Um, I think the Jimmy Case departure didn't help either. It wasn't just about Tiz. But he was, he was advised to get rid of Jim by, by somebody at the club and um, without knowing him. And, and I spoke to him at length about this and I said you should have spoke to me because I played with Jim for six years mm. and I think Jim had another year in him at least um, and, and because Ian didn't know Jim um, I think he was too a bit too quick to, to get rid of him and uh, and I think he regrets that now Ian, more, you know, more than the situation and I think if Jim had been at the club I think Jim would have helped Ian understand the Tiz situation as well, you know, how Tiz played and, and I think the outcome would have been different
So you moved on to Leighton Orient in 1993 then, so was it hard to leave Saints, or did the, the fact that maybe there was a bit of a falling out with Bramford and that sort of general situation there make it a bit easier? Um, well, I personally didn't fall out with him. Um, I, I just wanted to play, and uh, I know I wasn't going to play forever. I was getting older. I think I was, what year was it? It was, it was Christmas 93, so I, that would have mm-hmm. made me, that would have made me sort of 35 nearly. Yeah, I'd have been 35 in the, in the summer. So, in hindsight, maybe you can always think, oh, if I'd have stayed and in, went after about a month after I'd left and Alan Ball took over. But I, I just wanted to play, and, and I was in and out towards the end of, or from that start of that season, sort of in and out. And um, I, I was just one of them lads from the age of 17. I wanted to play football, and I wanted to play in the first team. And uh, Leighton Orient came in. Southampton, to be fair, offered me another year's contract, um, which would have seen me make me testimonial. But I didn't want to be one of them players. You know, I wanted to play football every Saturday, and I knew if I stayed at Southampton, I might not have done. But I did, I loved it, yeah, I had some fantastic times, you know, even the Brantford years, you know, we can all take positives from that and learn from it, um, and I knew I wasn't going to play at, at the top level forever, um, so when uh, Lake Norrent offered me a two and a half year deal, I thought that was my chance then to go and play elsewhere and maybe give a bit back to youngsters that were in the team, and I could help them like, I remember Jim helping me and me then helping Dodgy and Tiz and the young ones coming through. So I went there as a, an elder statesman and um, and I really enjoyed my time at Lake Norian. And then again at Fulham when Mickey signed me and, and then at, at Brentford at, at the end of my career. So it sort of um, revitalised me, if you like, and uh, and got me going again and, and had a different aspect of the game. Whereas helping youngsters in the team mm. made me probably play better, if that makes sense. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions here from uh, the fans on the, uh, the Saints Archive forum. Uh, the first one comes from the Ugly Inside, uh, and they're asking, how do you maintain your Rod Stewart hairstyle? <laughs> you can't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> you in the morning. <laughs> do you have any tips for Stuart Armstrong? <laughs> i tell you what, I like him. I like him. It's interesting when you see footballers. Since I left the, the club there hasn't been too many that were probably similar to me now I know that that position may have died out of the game it's all about um, keeping your position and keeping the ball and you know but sometimes it would be nice if um, someone did break the mould a bit and made runs into the box like David Platt you see like Brian Robson did like Paul Lynch did like you know, a, a lesser level me but, you know, I don't see that. But I think he, he has got it in him to do that. And um, and I think that, that, that would suit him in, in a role. But uh, as for the Rod Stewart thing, um, I don't know what it is. Even, even Rod likes it because I've got to know Rod over the last few years. And uh, even, even he mentions it sometimes, so it must be all right. Another question from Jonathan Redsell. He asks, if you were a player now, which club do you think you'd play for? Oh blimey! What at the top level? I would, uh, I, I would, I would, I, I would love to play for Southampton because I never, obviously, I left when there was at the Dell. I think yeah. the new stadium is fantastic when when the fans get going. But I have been lately, well, more so when Mark Hughes was manager, and um, I think what did it for me the the atmosphere. You know, we were very close. I know it's a different time, um, but I think the fans felt close to the players, and we felt close to the fans because. We could nip out after a game and have a couple of pints and 
and maybe on a Sunday lunch, you know, and, and, and I think that goes against the players and the fans. You know, I do feel a bit sorry for fans these days because they pay a lot yeah. of money to watch watch the team. And uh, and and for me, and I've said it up in, in a few of the, the, uh, the lounges when I've, when I've been asked to speak, I don't think they're getting uh, a good deal off, off the players. You know, they just showed a bit more enthusiasm sometimes, even when, you know, things don't go wrong. You know, just a little clap of your hands from somebody to G somebody up you know if the fans see that it, it gets them going mm. yeah. so I would love to play for Southampton now and I think it would create a better atmosphere within the stadium just by yeah. somebody not diving into a tackle recklessly because you can't do that anymore but you know just showing a bit of enthusiasm now and again would, would help create a bit more atmosphere Absolutely. Uh, this last question is one from myself. Mm-hmm. Lou Chatterley was, was number yeah. two under Ian Bradford. Uh, what did he actually contribute, Glenn, as a coach as, or as assistant manager? He put the tones out in a nice straight line. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd say that. <laughs> uh, uh, he was all right, Lou. Um, I think he was, he was Ian's mate from days before when they were both at the club. I think Lou was already with us, wasn't he? Did, did Chris bring him yeah, in? I think so, yes. I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure Lou was already with us for the last year, I think. Yeah. You know, he was told that he was coming in anyway. Um, and then when Ian got the job, um, he stayed. But uh, to be fair, you know, whatever them two did on the coaching front, uh, and they were both a decent coach. Ian was a decent coach, to be fair. Um, it was just the situation, the Jimmy K situation, the Chiss situation, I think that... Uh, that, that didn't help you know from day one I think it was always going to be a struggle for Ian because of, of Jim first and then his, his treatment to, to Tiz uh, which was a bit unfortunate but Lou Lou was a typical warm up guy he was like uh, good fun he had good banter he was quite dry sense of humour so you know he suited some players um, football wasn't quite as scientific as it is now so Lou suited you know, being a coach at the time, he was one, I think, if that's quite a, a diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So you mentioned you've been around the club a bit. Obviously, we saw the pictures of you up in the lounge a couple of weeks back, I think it was. So um, I, I uh-huh. guess it was just sort of asking, you know, maybe what you've heard or what you've seen of Ralph Hasenhutl so far, what you've heard from the likes of Tiz and that, and, you know, potentially how excited yeah. you are by him for Saints. Yeah, from what I've heard, very positive, gets involved. He's taking the whole club to heart, and I think that's what it, it needs you know he's interested in the foundation he's interested in the youth team he's interested in every part of the football club and uh, and I think that's great for the rest of the staff you know when, when I was a player I think I knew everybody that worked at, at Southampton Football Club and I think I spoke to everybody at the football club and, and it wasn't just me it was it was all, all the lads and, uh, and I think that makes for you know quite a happy club so I I know it doesn't get your results that, but I think it can help when when you know that you're all in it together. And um, maybe they've not had that from you know other managers recently. Um, so I think that'll help. And uh, desperate for them to stay up, let him get his own squad together next year, and hopefully he can he can push us forward. But uh, but I've heard a lot of positive things about him, uh, about his enthusiasm for the for the whole club, not just for the for the first team, which is which is good news. Yeah, one last question, Glenn. Leon here yes, again. Yes, Thank you. Um, let's just hope we stay up, Glenn, and, and we hope we've got some big plans for, for next year. So, do you think we'll stay up, Glenn? 
I do. I really do. Um, I know we've got some tough games coming up, but uh, we've had a decent run of late. I think three of the games, Cardiff, you'll remind me in a minute, Burnley and one other all seem yep. to be together. And we, lo- we lost goals in the, in the last minute of every one of them games. And then four or five points that we could have gained, obviously, is a big loss. But, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's had two weeks now without games to to get them going, obviously, out of the Cup. And then it's International Week this week. So um, he's got a chance now of getting his, his team together and um, hoping, hoping to get... To, I think if we get three more wins uh, for the remaining games, I'm pretty confident of that. Um, I, I think that'll keep us safe. But uh, and then hopefully we can, uh, you know, we can work on his his squad as the season ends, and uh, and then push on in pre-season and uh, and get a decent squad together. Well, brilliant, Glenn. Well, we really appreciate you joining this uh, Total Saints podcast, Saints Archive episode of Total Recall. And Paul, thanks very much to you as well. Thanks very much, Ben. And Thank en- you. Our pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And uh, what I'll do on on the archive, I'll uh, we've got a few like, Saints games coming up. So if, if you don't mind, I'll post them on um, just in case some of the some of the followers want to come and watch us see what, oh, what we think of us then that'd be brilliant glad you can do that and we'll okay get, we'll get that sorted for you okay brilliant brilliant i'll put it on when as soon as i know the dates because i'm running the team the Saints team now so uh as soon as i know some dates of games i'll uh, i'll put them on there but i've enjoyed tonight it's been brilliant good to speak to you cheers A big thanks again to Glenn for his time, gratefully appreciated, as well as to Will and the guys at saintsarchive.com for pulling it all together. Right, before we finish up then, Steve, Saints are back in action next weekend at Brighton, off the back of some handy results last weekend, with Huddersfield, Fulham and Burnley all losing, thanks a lot Leicester, and Newcastle only drawing. Yeah, I mean it was a funny old weekend for for games with just so many late goals uh, changing the course of of how those games went. I mean, Burnley will be absolutely seething that they played 87 minutes of normal time yep. plus plus injury time against 10 men and still somehow managed to toss the game away against Leicester. Mm. I mean, looking at the way Burnley play, I guess Leicester going down to 10 men was kind of the worst thing that could have possibly happened for them because Burnley like to be the ones that play on the break and um, and kind of go against the percentages, if you like, and, yeah. um, and nick something. Whereas playing against 10 men for so long, they're expected to be the ones that make the running. Mm. And we've already seen this season that Burnley are very one-dimensional. Mm. And if you're a team defending with 10 men for best part of an entire game, then playing against a team that's just direct and is just lumping the ball up onto the head of, of uh, centre-backs, yep. that's kind of exactly what you want. You don't want players running at you. You don't want to be getting tired. You're quite happy to just field stuff in the air. That's that's absolutely no problem. So I think Burnley kind of played into Leicester's hands there. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Huddersfield had done. I mean, yep. They, yep. As, as, well as, as well as they apparently played for the best part of an hour, you cannot defend like that. And um, having scored three goals away from home which having scored 15 for the entire previous season. Entire, yeah. entirety yeah. of the season was was quite some effort yeah um yeah. to score three away from home you expect to take something from the game yeah and i mean if you're losing 
losing in that fashion I mean it's just like well what's the point I know and Fulham I think probably thinking they're gone as well but I mean I was looking at Burnley's yeah. fixtures so they I mean they've played one game more than us so obviously we've got an opportunity there but they're running to the end of the season now is Wolves at home then they've got Bournemouth away which won't be easy they've got Cardiff at home which will obviously have a lot of pressure on it and then their last four games are Chelsea away Man City at home Everton away and Arsenal at home so I mean that's certainly not an, uh, an easy run in and well we're not going to count any chickens yet the world is starting to look a bit of a rosier place for Saints yeah I mean I think Burnley are now in that situation where they're looking at these next three games as the ones where they've got to do the bulk of the work yep. Chelsea and Everton you never quite know which side's going to turn up mm. I fancy if Burnley need a result away at Everton they might get something yep. but at home to Arsenal even even in the last couple of years where Arsenal have been absolutely dreadful away from home mm. um, they've still sneaked wins at Burnley yeah yeah albeit both in injury time for one nil wins but they've They've found a way to win up there and Arsenal got a bit of momentum about themselves now. And I think they'll be looking at that as as three points to seal top four finish. I mean, City, they're not going to get anything from that game. City will just run them ragged. Um, So all of a sudden, everything comes down to that Cardiff game for Mm. me. I think Wolves will be a difficult game for them. Yep. Um, and they're playing well at the moment Wolves yeah I mean Burnley were lucky to only lose 1-0 at Wolves earlier in the season it was a game that was on Sky and um, I mean Wolves could easily have scored double figures in that game Mm. that was I think the one game this season where Joe Hart was absolutely outstanding for them Um, I don't think Hart was particularly bad for them it's just Heaton coming in has kind of settled them for a while and now even he's turned to mush all the pressure they're under Yeah, Um, but Bournemouth's home record against teams outside the top six is excellent. They've not lost at home to a team outside the top six for, I think, two years now. Mm. There we go. So just finally then, Adam, it's uh, it's likely to be a probably a tough, nervy affair down at the Falmer Stadium next weekend. So what are you expecting of the game and uh, from Saints? Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be pretty tough. I'm not expecting a great game. I think Brighton will, you know, will try and make themselves hard to break down, won't they? I think they'll be there you know their modus operando if you like um and then hope that they just get a little bit of either a bit of skill from one of their their sort of wide players or they can get the ball in the box to murray um Mm -hmm. and he can make something happen yeah i'm not kind of foreseeing a a sort of really open free-flowing game of football much um it can't be worse than the league cup game because you said that was atrocious oh god that was awful (laughs) no it can't be worse than that um if Saints win, I think they're almost done, to be honest. I think they're virtually safe. Um, not, and, and they'll not start thinking that now as well, Saints, I think. When they, they'll you know, they'll yeah, feel there's they, a little bit know. of momentum with them now. They know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to sound complacent because this could come back and bite me on the arse, but I think they're almost safe now. I don't think... They've got more to do. Despite the two point, despite it only being a two-point yes. gap. It's, it's yeah. weird how that feels, isn't it? Yep, yes, totally. I, I, really, I really feel that they're kind of one foot is in the Premier League already. They've just got to get over the line. Mm. Um, the only thing I would caution, the, 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 the nagging doubt in the back of my mind that says, for goodness sake, don't, don't be complacent about it, is that if this result against Brighton went badly, if they lost, they then got Liverpool. So you, let's say Liverpool turn up and beat you. Now, there's no guarantee of that, but that's probably the likelihood. Mm-hmm. So you go through those two games. In essence, really, for this, the equation for Saints, not much has changed. But 
it will feel like a lot has changed because they've come back from this. They've had this great momentum punctured by three weeks without a game. Very unfortunate for them, but obviously nothing they could do about it. If you then lost a couple, one of which almost, you know, you, you feel like, okay, fine. This is not one you expect to win, but you still come into two losses or something like that. And then you've only got six games to go. At that point, six games to go, you may well start to really feel pressure. That might really weigh on you. You only need one surprise result somewhere or something. And, and suddenly you might feel like, oh, heck, oh, blimey, we are banging this again now. We thought we were almost safe. And now, God, we are right in this. Yeah. And then all the games become harder in your mind because we know that the Saints players can be, have shown a vulnerability to be a little fragile at times when that those kind of situations arise. So that's the only nagging doubt in my mind. But... I can't foresee that really being a problem. Mm. Um, I think it'll be a, a tough game at Brighton, but I actually think people you know, might point the league table and say differently, but I just think Saints are better than Brighton. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything to be scared of. I think for Saints, they should see it as an opportunity. Win this one, and they're almost done. Yep, and I guess with the, you look at the, the Watford fixture that's obviously been put in now for the 23rd of April, so that's going to make it four games for Saints in two weeks at the end of April, which, you know, again, if they are in a good run or a bad run, could, could mean that if you're in a good run, it keeps the momentum going. If you're in a bad run, it gives you the chance to get back on the pitch quite quickly and turn it around. So I, I think uh, we all know, having followed Saints for multiple years, that we're certainly not going to uh, count any chickens until it's done. But uh, there we go. Let's have some predictions on the Brighton game now, Adam. We'll uh, obviously start with you in true fashion. Well, I think it's going to be tight and nervy and a bit of those. Neither team quite gets the result they want, but neither team loses either. I think a draw. I'm going to go for one all. Yeah, well, I've already got that, so you can't have it. Right, I am going to go for, let's just rewind quickly. I think for certain that Southampton are going to have a great performance there and they're definitely going to get the victory. I don't see it being nervy or tight in any way. I think it's going to be very one-sided and Southampton are going to win 3-1. There you go, that's much better. We'll go with that version, that's perfect. So, Steve, what about you? I don't know. It's one of those where... You're not getting a point for that, though. No, I know. It's... He's, he's just going to go with two all because he always does. No, I'm not. I think we'll win because, I mean, I've just been deeply unimpressed with Brighton all season. Yeah. Their results have not reflected their performances. Yeah. Um, you look at basically every single statistical measurement and they are dreadful and they've been dreadful all season. They've been bailed out by a little bit of luck, some good goalkeeping at times from, um, from Matt Ryan and Christ knows how he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Glenn Murray. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as we can keep Glenn Murray quiet for once, yep. um, I don't see any reason why we don't win the game. So I'm going to go 2-0. 2-0, perfect. Okay, well, you took the words out of my mouth there because uh, obviously I've got 1-1, as I mentioned. But I think that's the, the key thing. We know Glenn Murray will be key to the way they play, won't it? Lumping balls up to him. So I think if we can keep him quiet, and uh, I mean, he seems to score against us every time we play against them. So uh, I think if we can keep him uh, quiet, we've got a good chance. But yeah, I'm going to uh, go for one all.
Thanks for listening to Total Saints Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, then we normally release our new episodes on a Monday morning UK time if you fancy listening in future. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Just look up at Total Saints Pod. Thanks again to Glenn Cockrell, saintsarchive.com, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Finally, a big thanks to all of those again who sent in questions. I've been Ben Stanfield at Ben Stanners. Until next time, this has been Total Saints Podcast. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.